Welcome to Pod Academy. I'm Joe Barrett. Change ringing is a method of ringing church bells which is unique to England. The practice has changed little in 400 years. Catherine Hunt is a researcher at the London Consortium, and her work is looking at the invention and reception of change ringing in 17th century England. I wound my way up a spiral staircase to meet her in the bell tower of St Paul's Cathedral, but first we jump across the river to listen to the 12 bells of Southwark Cathedral. They've just started to ring now, and they started off ringing all 12 bells from the highest note to the lowest. And at this point, they're just ringing them in rounds, and you can hear that there are 12 bells involved in this. It's quite easy to work out that there are 12 separate sounds. There's a kind of a hum building up because the sound of each bell sort of expands and continues to ring once the bell's been struck. And the more rounds the ringers ring, the bigger this hum becomes. They start to vary the order in which the 12 bells are rung and the sounds start going more kind of disjointed and they start sounding less kind of regular and less ordered. It becomes much more difficult to work out how many bells there are because they're no longer in this nice neat order, kind of Russian doll style order. They start getting jumbled up um, but in a way that sort of you can still feel, feel that you can hear the original order in which they started to be rung. It's a very familiar sound, but at the same time listening to it closely, it's very, very disordered and it's very jangly and it's difficult to discern a melody in it because there, there sort of isn't one. And it's difficult to see where this music or this sound is going and whether in fact it is music at all. And there are points in the ringing where it sounds like the bells are sort of about to return to a kind of order. That they're beginning to approach that, that order that we heard at the beginning once again, but then resolve themselves again into this kind of disorder. And we end with, again, the bells ringing from the highest note to the lowest. Again, it becomes much more easy to realise that there are 12 bells ringing. And the, that, that set of changes has been resolved. Change ringing is a way of ringing church bells, which is unique to England and is a very English activity. It's been done here since the 17th century the bells in a church tower are rung in rounds. Every bell in the tower must be rung in this round and the order in which they're rung must never be repeated. So there must be constant variation in the order of the rounds. 
My PhD is researching the history of change ringing and its reception in the 17th century. And I'm really interested in it because it's such an unusual practice. Its form is related to these quite complicated ideas of mathematical permutation. But at the same time, it's a sound that is so familiar. And I think it's a sound that people listen to a lot or know very well, but maybe don't listen to very carefully. And when you listen to it, I think the complicated form that underlies it and this, this constant variation, this sort of disorder and order at the same time, really comes through in a sort of close listening to it. So I'm looking at how it was invented, at who did it at the time and what their kind of motivations were for doing it, but also I'm interested in how people heard it at the time and how people hear this really unusual sound now. Could we maybe start by, by you telling us how um, change ringing began, where it sprung from, what was, what was bell ringing before the 17th century? The English have always been very fond of their bells and they were very proud to be known as the Ringing Isle. Um, but this, this name for the English, this name for England became um, certainly more pronounced in the 17th century. Before the Reformation, Bells in churches had lots of different uses. So they would obviously call people to church, but they, would, they could warn against invasion, they would mark weddings, they would mark when people died. So they had a lot of different uses, which kind of regulated religious time, secular time, the general life of the community, which is kind of a, a mixture of those two, those two types of time. But different bells had different uses, and they could be rung altogether, or separate bells could be, you know, individual bells could be rung, and people would understand the meaning of a particular bell being rung in a particular way. Um, were these community-specific sounds, or would, would somebody in Northumberland and somebody in London be able to be aware of the meaning of the different sounds of the bells? I think people certainly seem to develop a hearing for their own parish church bells. There are similarities, so people could probably recognise the sorts of times of day at which a particular bell might be rung. And there are some bells, warning bells, might have quite an insistent sound so that that might be familiar to people. And um, I think that bells rung for funerals were... Uh, for, there were certain types of tolling that you did at the death of a person, and they, those also might have been familiar. But certainly the actual sound of your own, your own parish bells was something that people um, felt that they, they knew and that they, they, could, they could tell the difference between. And how did, how did this evolve or change into um, change ringing in the, in the terms that we're talking about it here? Well, after the Reformation, there were many fewer liturgical uses for the bells so certainly prayer times which were related to the monastic calendar were no longer applicable because of the, the monasteries were no longer in use lots of the liturgical uses of the bells were now curtailed but I think in England and in other Protestant countries but English people seem to have been particularly fond of their bells and there's lots of examples of parishes hiding their bells and burying them and pretending that they didn't have them so that they wouldn't get found out by the authorities and taken away because they were, they were no longer needed. They're one of the most extraordinary survivals of the Reformation because lots of other movable objects were um, destroyed or, or altered and bell metal is really valuable so there were several injunctions put out by um, 
Henry and Edward uh, about needing bell metal for the for the money, but bells did manage to survive and in quite large numbers. And I think it's partly this that that led to the rise of change ringing. The foundation of change ringing is is not really known about, but I think that. An enthusiasm for ringing bells, lots of people in the bell tower all together, often drinking quite a lot of beer, developed from ringing rounds, as we heard at the beginning of the Southwark Cathedral bells, just ringing bells in order from the highest note to the lowest. I think that developed into more sophisticated ways of ringing them. Reformation survivals of bells and a real popular enthusiasm for ringing was what allowed change ringing to begin. Change ringing is this very, specific, this very specific way of ringing bells in which all of the bells in a church tower are rung in rounds, but the order in which they're rung must never be repeated. It's, it depends on constant variation. If there are, say, five bells in a tower, they might start off one, two, three, four, five, which is those nice orderly rounds that we heard in the Southwark Cathedral ringing. But then in the next round, they might be rung in the order two, one, three, four, five, and then maybe two, one, four, three, five. In the 17th century, bell ringers figured out a way in which to get through all of the possible orders in which this number of bells could be rung. And this is a calcu mathematical calculation called the factorial, which is represented by the number and an exclamation mark. So it looks like you're being a bit hysterical when you write it down. Um, and the numbers that this factorial can come up with is something that was a great source of amazement and wonder to bell ringers. The, the factorial is formed by, for example, for five, it's five times four times three times two times one. So the number of changes it's possible to ring for five bells is 120 and these numbers escalate rapidly so that for seven bells the number of changes possible is 5040 and for 12 bells it's 479,000,600. Change ringing at least in its kind of most formal sense attempts to find ways of getting through all of these possible changes whilst never repeating an order, never repeating the order in which the bells are rung, but also using specific rules which determine the ways in which the, the changes may be done. So one of the rules, I mean, the rules have changed quite a lot between them, then and now, but one of the rules that still stays is that a bell can't be rung last in a row and then first in the immediately following row. And this is kind of a practical consideration because there wouldn't be time for the bell to, to get back into a good position to be rung. Is it, a, is it a skillful thing? Are there techniques that only very experienced bellings can do? I think one of the nearest analogies is maybe to an eight-men rowing crew in which everybody's doing the same thing, although rowers are all doing it at the same time and bell ringers are not doing it. It's kind of syncopated. They're, do, they're all doing the same thing, but not at the same time. But it's extremely skillful making the, the rounds ring evenly, making your bell ring in the right way. Also, just following the methods, following these methods which are based on this complicated mathematical permutation of which, in which the idea is to make one's way through the whole 
set of, of possible changes. It's extremely complicated and so ringers have to kind of internalise the methods and, and feel their way through them and know the orders of the different types of changes that can be made and, and understand the patterns of them in order to be able to ring them. As a way of maybe understanding that, there's, um, if we walk to the centrepiece of the bell tower, um, there's an award here, which is um, the National 12 Bell Striking Contest, of which the bell ringers here were the winners in 2009. How would a bell ringing competition, how, how would it work and how would it be judged? For the 12 bell ringing striking contest, there are bands of ringers and they just do a part of a, of a peel. So they wouldn't do the whole 5,040 changes, for example, which is, I think, what still constitutes a peel. But they would be judged according to the equal timing of their striking and to the... In the 18th century, people started talking about true and false peels. So a true peel was when you had successfully gone through the method in the correct way and a false peal was when you had made a mistake and bells hadn't rung in the right order or they'd kind of jumbled up but particularly um, that you, you had been trying to follow a particular method, a particular kind of composition of how to ring the bells but something had gone wrong. It's according to those principles still about kind of equality and, and smoothness of the intervals but also successfully doing the method in the correct way. The idea with change ringing is that the change ringers should become a single instrument and certainly in the 17th century this was the goal and Fabian Stedman who was one of the first writers on change ringing and, and a ringer himself, it's one of the things he emphasises in Campanologia and describes how there should be a, an even compass between each, between each bell and the goal was not necessarily to impose a style as, as a kind of a violinist might have a particular style, but just to sort of indifferently make the bells sound as, as good as they could. So it's close to music, but to, to describe it as music would probably not be correct. Well, lots of change ringers, especially at the beginning, did describe it as music, but its position as music is, has always been quite contentious. It sounds musical, but it doesn't have many of the things that we tend to associate with music, like melody or um, harmony, really, or refrain. Stedman, again, who wrote Campanologia, talks about its invention being mathematical. But there is a sense in which it is musical, in which the early proponents of it talk about it as music because it's sort of unclear what else it is, really. So people are doing this activity which they talk about in terms of music. They also talk about a lot in terms of exercise and in terms of being something that's good for the body and strengthens the, the mind and the body and um, is, is you know, healthful. Also something that is a, a leisure pursuit, something that you can do in your spare time this is sort of going into the 18th century a bit more. But it is described as a, a, a very English pursuit, as one that is, is good for the body, works the mind, and is this kind of good sort of meeting point between the theoretical and the practical. The speculative and practic is how Stedman calls it. So in its kind of role, I'm kind of imagining it sort of 
like a cross between a Sudoku puzzle, going to the gym and going to the pub? <laughs> yes, exactly. Possibly at the same time being in a concert hall. Yeah, but Sudoku is exactly what it is. Every item must be present in each row. No preference is given to a particular instrument or to a particular sound. They're all equal. So in a sense, it's got a, quite a complicated relationship to music, but that relationship seems to me is similar to the relationship it has with maths. Yes, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think there's a, there's a branch of mathematics which it is related to, which is called group theory, which was sort of codified in the 19th century. And changing is quite a simple form of group theory, but it can be explained using the principles of group theory which is all about sets and co-sets and um, the ways in which composers of methods of change ringing manage to make their way through all of the possible changes uses exactly the principles of group theory of separating things out into sets and using different swaps and, and changes in, in change ringing. There are similarities between the form of change ringing and serialism in the 20th century and people like Schoenberg and Weben and then later people like Boulez and, and others. And therefore they're kind of quite restrictive but very complete forms of composition um, are, are quite similar, are the most similar things in music I think to what change ringing is. So can you describe the sound that we're hearing now? This is a method called the 20 All Over, which is from Tintinologia, which was the first book to be published on change ringing from 1668. It's been recreated and rung by the uh, bell ringers of St Bartholomew the Great at Smithfield. And there's five bells there which date from about 1510, and they're the only surviving pre-Reformation bells in the city of London. So what we're hearing is exactly what somebody in the 17th century would be hearing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, some of the mechanisms of ringing the bells have been changed since then, uh, wooden things that needed to be replaced and so on. But I think that change ringing provides one of the most continuous sounds that, that it's possible to have. The same instruments, the bells, being played in exactly the same way in the same place. And it's a kind of remarkable our survival and there's not very many sounds that can claim to have had such a continuous history. You can hear the sounds much more clearly I think than in the Southwark Cathedral example. There's only five bells and they're, they're quite a lot smaller and they sound sort of a little bit tinnier but just because I, I suppose they're smaller but they're still very kind of, they still sound very, they sound, they do sound quite old and they sound very a bit kind of tinkling rather than that sort of rich sound that we got from Southwark Cathedral bells. Because of the sound of these bells and because there's only five of them, I think it's easier to make out the changes. Sometimes in the Southwark Cathedral bell example, that hum, because of there being 12 bells, that hum that built up meant that it was not very easy to pick out individual bells, but with the um, St Bartholomew the Great bells, much easier to, to hear these individual sounds. And as this is this kind of historical sound, it's maybe a good time to think about how people might have heard these sounds when they first listened to them 
in the 17th century. Each of these bells would have had an individual meaning and different kind of syncopations of them would have had different meanings, but now they're all being rung together in this, in this new sound. And I don't know, I don't know what people would have, would have kind of made of it at the time. Okay, what kind of people were into belonging? During the 17th century, all different sorts of people seem to have done it. It's an activity that's quite difficult to un uncover because, partly I think because it's bell, the sound of bells is something that people just heard all the time in all different sorts of ways. And people don't tend to write about things that happen all the time. But there are certainly some societies that were founded in the 17th century, and one of which, the Ancient Society of College Youths, is still, um, still going today. And they seem to have had lots of different sorts of, of members. So the Ancient Society of College Youths, for example, had quite a lot of gentry members and people that clergymen, esquires, um, admirals, and seem to have been the people that seem to have been a member of that society were really into this new practice, but also were not the kind of people, certainly not the kind of people that would ever have been paid to ring bells for church services or anything like that. At the same time, there were other societies that maybe had um, a slightly lower class of people in them, lots of apprentices, um, kind of tradesmen, people that had a, had a trade, but that were certainly not of the same social status as, the, as some of the people in the college youths. And also, alongside this, especially in country parishes where there was only one church and one set of bells, the people that would have been that would always, or the sort of people that would always have rung the bells um, earlier in the, in the 16th century just for fun would have continued to do it. So you have a real mixture, I think, in the 17th century of the same sorts of people that have always been the kinds of people that have rung bells, of people that are doing it, especially in London, but also in other places, as a leisure activity, who are doing it on, have, you know, having practices on a Wednesday evening, who could come from various different levels of society, though they usually seem to have organised themselves into quite homogeneous groups. So the same sorts of people usually would have been in, the, in, the, in a society together. And then you have these people whose involvement is not particularly clear, but who certainly were interested in this new practice, who were much, much of a much higher class than you might expect. And these kind of upper class people sort of seem to tail off a little bit as the 17th century ended and into the 18th century. And um, so, so things were quite different in the 18th century and certainly in the 19th century. But I think the way that change ringing has evolved and has changed, people that do change ringing now come from all different sorts of, of walks of life. Change ringing is still a, a very vibrant activity in this country. and. Changeringers have done a, a, an amazing job of researching their own history and writing their own history, even in the 17th century, actually. The first, very, very first books on changeringing talk about this, this kind of sudden foundation of this new activity. And, and even then, they're trying to kind of write, write its own history and talk about how, how suddenly and how quickly it, it grew, but how, how strongly it's, taken, it's been taken into the hearts of the country. It obviously still retains this great continuity with um, how the activity started in the 17th century.
In this programme you heard the Twelve Bells of Southwark Cathedral, rung by the Southwark Cathedral Society of Bellringers and recorded in 2011 by Duncan Whitley. And the five 16th century bells of St Bartholomew the Great, Smithfield, rung in 2010 by Romney Day, Christine Stratford, Pauline Dingley, Paul Newman and James Ingham. Thanks to Dr Chris Marsh of Queen's University Belfast, from whose publication Music and Society in Early Modern England, the recording of The Twenty All Over was taken. Also to Simon Carter, Collections Manager at St Paul's Cathedral. 